<laughs> Two hours before Mitch remaining. Wake up, Cowboys, if you hear this, you can call me Father Mike. Yo, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this intro for two reasons. Number one, because we never actually bothered to, in, to do an intro for the interview with Mike Stone coming up later. Eight-year NFL player, Mike Stone, entrepreneur. Gives us perspective, perspectives about a lot of things coming up later. But, yeah, we did, never really did that. But also, I wanted to ask you about the NPC meme again. <laughs> That's your favorite thing in the internet right now, bro. If you haven't seen it, the NPC meme, they're putting it on, they're putting that shit on everybody's head. They're putting it on, like, The Tonight Show, SNL, they're putting it on every journalist. Have you seen that video? It plays a loop of, like, a bunch of them. You remember a few months ago, or, like, no, this might have been even during the election, where they recorded some of... Uh, they recorded that message. They recorded um, all those news stations saying the same message. No, you didn't see that. No, it was a bunch of news stations that gave the same, literally the same verbatim speech, and ended it with, "This is extremely dangerous to our democracy." <laughs> this is extremely dangerous to our. Democracy. Was this about Trump? I think it was about like fake news or uh, like undercutting people's um, trust in the news, but. The NPC meme. I think it's interesting because, it, it, I mean, if you don't know what it is, it's like a gray face, like a gray, just the, at the most average, bland cartoon cartoon face you could think of, <laughs> put up <laughs> and made to say the same things. Coming from NPCs in video games that aren't really significant to the story, don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, they can't really think for themselves, they just do a few repeated actions over and over a few pre-recorded pre-decided actions done at random over and over and you said this is from a conservative Twitter this is where you saw this <laughs> yeah but that's the thing about it I that it, the, the beauty of that it's, it's a it's a you know <laughs> as far as memes go it's it's well executed but it's not I don't think it should just be a conservative thing anybody of any race gender or ideology could be an NPC so because <laughs> There's people on both sides that don't think for themselves. Mm. What's some what's some what's some common NPC traits besides that that you think is out here? Um, an over reliance, an over reliance on buzzwords. I think when you use buzzwords too much, when you just use those, especially when you're debating with like the opposition, and you use uh, you use your vocabulary with them, and you just expect them to know what it means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like you or you or you expect them to accept those as, you know, valid. Like you, I have to accept your premise is true before we can even move forward with our debate. You know, that's how all conversations are dealt with now. If you don't accept me from the get go, there's nothing to talk about. It's just gonna be an argument. But what do you mean by accept? Like, what do you mean? What do you need besides besides respect and civility? You know, I need acceptance. As in, what I say is clearly gold. What I say is law. If we can't agree on that, then what, what do we have to talk about? The validation machine. The validation machine. I also saw something the other day while I was not reading, while I was in between my, um, my rotation of memes, articles. And wisecrack videos. <laughs> it was saying YouTube videos, reading books, whatever. I saw something that I'm going to take probably... It was, it, it really, it changed the way I looked at things. It was like, as far as, it, 
was it was intended for an entrepreneurial standpoint, but yeah, I, I feel like it applies to everything. It said start measuring things in tasks completed rather than hours worked. I was like, hmm. Like imagine you didn't you you didn't spend you like like you you code so you imagine you didn't spend eight hours coding like you was like oh damn well you know did you do did you really do shit are you productive but instead what what if you measured it and just like okay well I didn't know the other day I didn't know how to do this I figured that out um, I wrote these pieces of co- I wrote these pieces of code that are necessary to complete this section of the puzzle piece that it makes up the entire whole mm-hmm. and. You know, um, whatever the fuck else you did. Maybe you ran five miles, whatever. You <laughs> ran five miles in the midst of this coding shit. Or you just ran. Laptop in front of you, just running. I mean, that's a that's like a simplified way to look at it, just to like break down time. I feel like to make time go faster. It's kind of like if you have a, a nine to five, instead of looking at like, oh, I'm here till five o'clock, look at it like, all right, I'm going to break this down by hours. I got an hour left. Then the suit, then that's how I got an hour left. Just look at it like that I type shit. Hated that shit. They used to do shit all the time. When I was, when I was in school, when I was in fucking, yo, when I was in middle school, we had the block scheduling for a while. So we had like A days and B days. But I've never even heard of that. Too. It's like you have, it's like on A day you might have first, third, fifth, seventh, or whatever. How many, however many classes you have, and then the next day you might have like second, fourth, sixth, eighth. So niggas is so niggas is walking around asking each other like, "Yo, is it an A day or a B day?" <laughs> that shit was that shit was not productive. Test scores definitely went down. <laughs> your, your, your middle school actually just sounded like wild as hell. Oh, it was garbage. Oh, it was garbage. Yeah. The state took it over. I don't know if it's still bullshit. I don't know, but yeah. shout out to them. We played a lot of good basketball at their courts though, so that's a positive. We did play a lot of basketball. Like a, lot at those of over there. <laughs> a lot of ball at those courts. A lot of ball at those courts. Nah, man. I thought you meant like your school played a lot of basketball. Like, y'all was nice. Y'all was like traveling middle school or something. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Man, <laughs> niggas was selling weed. They was not concerned. I had was going multiple on. niggas were selling weed in your middle school. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> what the hell? Multiple niggas were selling weed. Multiple niggas, like, there was so many niggas that was nice that was that was either they didn't go out for the team because it was doing bullshit or they went out for the team and had to leave because it was ineligible or they started doing dumb shit. And that weed bus had niggas shook. I remember that day. How are you ineligible for sports in middle school? That kind of, that's kind of wild. <laughs> he's a good kid too, but he's crazy. He's a cowboy. He's got too much to prove. Everyone wants to be a cowboy. Grab your gun, boys. So we was watching the Roland Martin and uh, Jason Whitlock debate earlier. And I mean, they said a lot. A, a, a lot was said. A lot was said. Mm. First of all, Roland Martin. I'll definitely say that if you watch the interview, first thing I noticed, Roland Martin, Roland Martin was definitely looking much flyer than that man. So not that it matters. It's not. A, it, it does not apply to the content of the debate. But he was definitely, he definitely outdressed you that day. That's just that's in a different realm of thinking. But onto the actual content of the debate. Whitlock, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they were debating a little bit about intellectual thought leaders, both you know, black and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So. All these things together. I mean, give me, give me a little bit on that. The NPC mean and intellectual thought leaders. You know, those two things really do correlate. I think Whitlock is stuck in the past, like many old black people are and many old white people are. I think he can't look at a leader unless he's 
just like past leaders, has to be just like Muhammad Ali, has to be connected to God, has to be talking, doing exactly how everything Muhammad Ali did. But that's the thing about Muhammad Ali is no one else is no one's gonna be Muhammad Ali. He's he he was him, and he was and he's gone now. These people aren't trying to be new Muhammad Ali. They're just trying to be them. They're just trying to they see problems in the world and they're. I'm not even saying they're actively trying to change them. Like, oh, like, oh, yeah, they out here doing mad work. And shit. I'm just, they're just out here just saying, they're saying what they, they're saying their thoughts on what's going on. That's all I can really say that's going on. They're not out here like, oh, I'm Muhammad Ali. I'm trying to lead the people. I'm trying to be the next black leader. I don't see anyone trying to do that. That's the thing. Some are. I don't, who, who's trying to do that? Who's, who's out there trying to be the next black leader? I mean, that's the thing is, the hard thing about it is that a lot of these people, quote unquote only exist on the internet you know what I mean like you see the the, 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 the 12,000 retweet tweets you know you go, to the, they, you go to the account people can build brands off of these things which was also talked about in the in the debate if it's only on the internet though it's not real if it's just a page saying oh yeah LeBron is great LeBron's the next blah 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 and they got a bunch of thousands of retweets it's not real can you really say that anymore though yes can you really say that the internet is not real yes I, to an extent, to an extent. Okay, well, let me say this. Like, shout out to Eric Baker, aka DC Ewa. Um, taught me to write. That's my dude. But he used to talk about in class, um, television and film and the media. Does it create reality or does it reflect reality? And you know, he's like, no, no, no. Wait a second. Marinate on it. You know. And. The events usually would come up like, oh yeah, it's both. It's both. It both creates and reflects reality. I think the internet is kind of the same way. It's sort of like, it's a half real sort of thing. If that, if you know, you know what I mean? If you will. A half, a half real sort of thing. I feel like it does both, but I feel like it creates reality much more than it reflects reality. And I feel like the reflection from what it creates is just that it creates this. So of course it seems like it would mirror it. But it's the one creating this. It's creating this this content for people to feed off of and for it to happen in their actual real lives. So be like, oh my god, it's like this continuity and shit. Mm. What do you mean by continuity in this context? Like, for instance, like I used to, I I looked up a lot to like intuition, and it's like one of the things to like increase your intuition is to look for continuity in your life. Things that you talk up that just happen the same day, the same week, just that you can reflect. If you can see the continuity in your own life, your intuition will get better. And I think it's kind of like that. Just the continuity of just all these things the internet is producing. All these crazy memes, these crazy just situations, this crazy everything that comes out of the internet. It just, it's just, just bound to happen just because of continuity. Something's got to happen just from that. Mm. We're going to have to read more because I'm not all the way... I'm not... I'm not following you all the way. I kind of see where you're going, but I'm, I'm not I'm not all the way. What did you first, I guess, read about or you know, delve into that? What about intuition and that? Okay. Yeah, specifically the stuff you just talked about. Uh, when I was looking into uh, Tesla, Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Now that was, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a case on white or white crime right there. <laughs> it is though, but uh, he believed like fully into intuition. So all of his like, uh, experiments and how he was able to be so much far advanced than anyone of his time was just straight out intuition, just trusting his gut, trusting himself, trusting just how he feels and going with that. I always thought that kind of stuff was interesting because like, the th when I read the book, Thinking Grow Rich, which was recommended me to me by many people and I did, I did enjoy the book, mm -hmm. but it was, 
and it was endorsed by all these industrial leaders. You know, everybody's like, yep, this is the book. This is the one. It'll make you rich. And, you know, all, your, bitch, your bitch is going to be bad. It's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, everything you want is possible <laughs> if you read this book and, and it applies principles. And it was a lot, and a lot of it was seemed just like the law of attraction. Like, you just got, hey, think about what you want. No, specifically think about what you want. You want money? How much? No, 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 no. It can't be. You can't say a lot. If you want a million, say you want a million and think you want a million and think about it and you really just... Just manifest. Just manifest destiny. I believe in manifest destiny to a point. Bro, manifest destiny is a shit that took the U.S. West, but... Not manifest, just manifestation. I believe in manifestation to a point. Ah. Uh, I don't think it's just like, I right, I'm about to sit here. I'm about to... I'm, I need a million dollars. I'm about to just sit here and wait for that shit to happen. And just a million dollars is going to drive from me. You have to work for your shit no matter what. But I believe if you were, if you add work to some intuition, to some manifestation, what you want could happen. Really, really good. You're a man who makes people afraid, and that's dangerous. Well, it's what people know about themselves inside that makes them afraid. That's what I'm saying. Like, I know they can track for new bills, so it would be it's simple for someone to create like a stamp or a serial number number to put on wallets, so you don't have to lose your fucking wallet, and then you could just track that shit off of Alpha app or something. It would be simple. You don't think that's a slippery slope? Oh, wow. I mean, you if you if you know where a nigga's wallet is at, it's just off your <laughs> app. It's like find my iPhone, and you have to sign in. If damn, I love my wallet. It's good tracking your wallet. But there's always gonna be some oversight in that process. What you mean? That like somebody's gonna have to oversee that. Somebody's gonna have to run this system. I mean, yeah. So you, you just don't trust people above just knowing where your wallet is at all times. I mean, it's 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 like it's like, it's a thing. It's not even. It's never just. It's <laughs> never just the engineered thing. It's never just like the nerds who would do nothing with it. It's always oh yeah, this higher up who knows this guy who just happens to be you know maybe running for office, hey. running this other company. So and you say, like, hey, I could make use of that data. I mean, you gotta think the everyone's okay with every, them knowing where their phone is at all times. That has more valuable information than your wallet in it at most times. <laughs> if you think with that, your phone has your whole life on it. It has plans on it. It has, it has history. It has dark <laughs> secrets on your phone, right? If they, if they put that tracking shit on wallet, you're never going off the grid. <laughs> they know where you are at all times. They, if they know where you okay, he ain't got a phone. We know where your wallet's at, my <laughs> We know where you are. But you're walking around without bread? Nah, you can't use banks anymore. We know where your cash is at. Hey, I mean, you, there's so many apps out here Snapchat, Instagram Live. We know where you are anyway. Snapchat definitely knew what they was doing when they put in a system to allow users to send money to one another. I think that they really, no, I'm serious. I think there was really a meeting at Snapchat. Okay, we're going to sit down and this is for the people who's just going to have Snapchat brands and the people who are selling pussy in some form or another, selling or selling, selling, selling sex. Let me not say, because anybody, you know, anybody can do anything, but you know, selling sex is one way. I really think there was a meeting a conscious effort, like, now nah, we gotta cater. Yo, send it right over the app. Right over the app. That's the thing. Every, every, the whole world is like a copycat league. Once they see something making money, that your industry has to try to copy it or make what they're doing and to bring it into what you're doing. Same thing. They saw how much money uh, money service apps like Cash App and Venmo were making. They were like, oh, this is clearly for like small transactions between people. Why don't, hey, you on Snapchat? Hey, send me some bread real quick. Why don't we add that? We have plugs on our app too. I mean, like, <laughs> We, we could use that feature, like, come on. Bro, we, we got weed, man. We got weed, man. Like, come on. People sell pussy over here, too. Like, 
you can buy nudes here. <laughs> I mean, if a man can't buy a picture of feet off Snapchat, what can he do? This Come is on. in America. Come on, listen, guys, listen. Pick your head up, all right? We are competitors. <laughs> <laughs> got as much a right to exist as anybody else out here. <laughs> My brother said, we are competitors. <laughs> we are chumps. We're not chumps. We are no, there are no pussies over here. <laughs> Snapchat is no pussy. They had a Wolf of Wall Street moment real quick in there. <laughs> that is the fucking... You know what's... I, the thing about that movie is... That's one of my top five favorite movies, by the way. Go ahead. I... Great movie, definitely. I don't think I would put it in my top five, but I think we should definitely discuss that if not right after I say this, then another time. But there was this quote. I remember when I was going to do the gala. Shout, um, shout out Morehouse College. Yeah. Shout out my alma mater, Morehouse College. But when we were going to do the gala, um, I was speaking, they gave me the speech. It's like, oh, okay, you're going to be introducing Usher, so we get ready for all that. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was another guy. There was another guy. It's my dude, uh, Jalen. He had this quote in his speech. It was like, it, it was um, it was from this poem called We Wear the Mask. Mm-hmm. It was like, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. It's like, yeah, like, everybody's just wearing the mask all the time and I'm about to Google it but I say that to say when it comes to the Wolf of Wall Street when it comes to all the wild shit you saw in House of Cards I think it is believable believable and I and it's it's a damn shame the first time I thought of saying okay I thought of thinking okay is this believable <laughs> was from Cliff Huxtable and Cosby Show when it's just the kids was just fucking up all at once. What you mean? On, at, on the show at the time, Theo had like Theo was fu- like they were, all the kids was fucking up. But I can't I can't even remember it right now. But yeah, a lot of that stuff I think is believable. Like especially the Wolf of Wall Street shit. I think niggas really act like that in the boardroom, and just and they're just so good at putting on the facade <laughs> professionalism. I think that's the that's the real that's the real um, that's some of the real nature of business. It's just like I know you're probably not this person that I see in front of me now, yeah. but you've not only convinced me that you are this person, but you've convinced me uh, well enough that I want to do business with you buy your product that's all that's all negotiations really like like, at the end of this conversation do I want to hang with you if I want to hang with you I'll most likely buy whatever you're selling you know what I'm saying we on the phone having intense negotiations this nigga could be like Louis CK getting head on the phone right now (laughs) and you would hear that shit and he closed the deal (laughs) hey man listen never tell me that's all that's all it is never tell me that that was what was going on that's all I can ask you for I don't have a shout out for Louis, but come to Atlanta. All right. And <laughs> I gonna like it over here. That niggas, he probably gonna stay in New York. That's where he's. Boy, him. All that power at. Him, Aziz Ansari, all them staying in New York. <laughs> Aziz making his comeback too. Yeah, I heard that too. He, he they say he performed at the same club as uh, Louis C.K. <laughs> like right after. That club might be building a rep. That club building yeah. a beer rep, yo. We're like, yeah, nah, it's about comedy here. We we don't care about we don't care about PC culture. Yeah, nah, it's 
You know, that type of thing. Don't let Cosby catch parole real quick. You know where he headed. Nigga, they were going to. They were that man under the chair. They throwing hot dog buns at that nigga in there. Chicken patties, yo. Chicken patties. Like, they, they, oh man, they doing it on that man. You throw a chicken patty, no bun at me. Like, I'm fucking you up with my cane. I don't care. That mean he ate the bread. He, that mean he ate the bread and threw the patty at you. He went back for the finish the bread after he tossed the patty at you. God is with us because he hates the eggs too. Hurrah! Getting high on my high horse. We're killing cowboys. Um. Yeah. Go ahead. We can start from there. All right. What year I play? Yep. Um, I came into the NFL 2001 and um, and retired 2008. So 2001, 2008. You got the great run. Yeah, I got him in. I mean, average average career span is two and a half years. Saying, that's what I'm saying. So you got the great run. Much further than average. So yeah, I got mine. So as far as the, the typical path, I guess to get to professional athletics, what was your path in particular? Like, how did it how did it go from you from start to finish? Oh. Um, Oh, it's long. Do you want the full story? <laughs> part of the story? Uh, give me, give me the. Um, I get a quick. I get a quick version. Yeah, right? the exciting, the the, the, um, the action points. Gotcha. Okay, I'm from Detroit. Um, I went to school um, outside Detroit. Was a very small high school player, so I got overlooked by Michigan, Michigan State, all the schools I wanted to go to. Um, I walked on at a black school called Central State. Have you all heard of Central State? Yeah. In Ohio, you heard of Central State? Yeah. What did you hear about Central State? Uh, we went to HBCU. Yeah, it is. You got to hear about everything. In Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, so I went to Central State for a year. I hear much, but I heard about it. Yeah, it was, it was rough. It was a rough year at Central State. They had us in um, in hotels because the dorms weren't up to code. Oh, mm. wow. Yeah, so it was fun. We had fun. But <laughs> after that year, I left, um, and I walked on at University of Memphis. And I found out I had to sit out for a whole year. I sat out the whole year, and that next year I came, I had three years left to play. And I played good those three years and got, um, got drafted to the Cardinals um, in 2000, um, in 2000 um, second round. So, you know, I, in that three years I made up some ground, got drafted, and um, I played four years for Cardinals. Um, I played a year for the Rams, I played a year for the Texans, I played a year for the Giants, and my last year was with the, um, with the Giants. Hmm. Do you watch a, what's that? Do you watch Last Chance U? What's that? Uh, never, you never heard Last Chance U? It's like it's about <laughs> about Juco football, about them trying to make it to like D one programs and everything. Oh really? Yeah, it's like the, their complete like grind behind the scenes and stuff like that. Uh, no, I've heard. What channel was that come on? It's, it's on Netflix. Netflix. Oh, for real? It's a Netflix mm-hmm. original. Netflix has everything. They and, do. Uh, that's what your story reminded me of a little bit. I thought back yeah. to like the Juco stories and all of that. And yeah. Then, like some, once they finally get an offer ship or something, then they find out they came to play for a year, got the red shirt and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Really Central State it. was like a Juco. It was, it was <laughs> like a Juco. It was fun. I, I, I keep saying that it was fun. <laughs> but I mean, you were, um, I guess your path was a, diff- a, a little different because, you know, a lot of guys that you hear about, um, playing, they didn't. They, they didn't finish college. They don't. They didn't go all four years. They didn't. They don't have degrees. You actually finished your four years. Why? What? Well, what motivated that? And why architecture in particular? I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, let me see. Okay, first question: Why four years? Yeah. Because I know that an NFL career is short. I know too many <laughs> people that came through, played a year, played two years, and are trying to find out what's next to do. So, why well, had the chance to get education? Why not capitalize on it? Mm-hmm. Any young player, get your education because it's not a long career, especially NFL. 
NBA is a little different. <laughs> NBA is guaranteed contracts. You're making every penny they, that they broadcast on ESPN. NFL, you're not. So um, I made sure I got my degree for that. And uh, why architecture? I was always kind of into architecture. I was young. I played with Legos. They yeah. got me excited about architecture. Mm-hmm. I'm good at art. And I'm good at math. So that's the um, career path that you know kind of fits what my skill set is. Mm. I haven't I haven't designed any houses yet though. <laughs> that's the big one right there. Yeah, I had a, I I did one intern after my first year in the NFL and I couldn't. I, they they started me off the very bottom of the totem pole. And I couldn't <laughs> do it. So yeah, I, I I haven't done much since. I'm largely anti-internship. Huh? So you typically design? Um, I mean houses. Um, I mean when we're at school we design big things like museums, things like that. But I, at some point I am going to design my house. So. To be continued on that. <laughs> is that is that the ultimate goal? Is that the the next step? Um, what's the next step? Mm. Not the ultimate goal. The next step. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm. All right. What is the best organization you played for, in your opinion? Best organization. Um, I would say the Patriots. Patriots <laughs> because um, the Patriots are kind of like a private school. I don't know where y'all are from, but where in Detroit, you know, you have all the hood schools with all the best athletes, but then you end up playing a private school and they end up still beating you. (laughs) Because they have all the equipment, um, they have just, it's a culture around football where they just always doing something with football. It's like a culture set. So it's like, I, I say the Patriots, I played, before the Patriots, I played with the Cardinals, and the second game, the second practice ended. Everybody was hopping in their cars, flying out of the parking lot, going where they wanted to go. With the Patriots, I remember my first year when I got there. I was trying to leave after practice, and not the coaches, but my teammates were like, "Mike, where are you going?" And he's like, "We stay here. We have dinner here. We're gonna stay and watch film until nine o'clock." Okay. And, said, and, and, and it wasn't the coaches; it was the players. I think it was like Mike Vrabel or somebody said that, and, mm. and I was like, "I guess so." So I think culturally, they created. A culture where the players are the ones who police each other as opposed to the coach policing the players. And that mm. never works when a coach is trying to make the players, you know, stay, do fil- extra film study, do extra training. The Patriots, players did it. That's a big thing that you always hear. Like, when they, when they compare the Patriots, other teams, like, oh, their culture is different. But you never really know what that means. But when you hit break it down like that, they need that, like, in every instance. Like, if they had yeah. that in school systems all around, that would be yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big believer. I think, um, I think that that it should be policing from the end. Like kids should police each other and do the right thing because you know that if the teacher tries to tell you, and if your parents yeah. tell you, not listening. But if you get in a good group of kids, a good group of kids as a teenager, if you get in a good group, you're gonna do the right thing. If you get in a bad group, you're gonna do the wrong thing. So yeah, I think that culture, that, that culture. Well, let me ask you this: Did you do you think that? I guess you know, professional athletics is like it's sort of a dream state. You know, every. Know, how many young boys think about it today especially young black boys was it like were you in that dream state when you first got drafted or did you you feel like you approached it as a business from day one um i think everybody is gonna mess up to, like <laughs> at least at least in one year course, you're gonna yeah. be like oh mm-hmm. i got this check i got it i can take it now i can go to the bank and cash it so when you get that kind of money and you're fresh out of college you you 20 20 21 years old you're gonna mess up you're gonna you're going to burn up the first check or two, just messing up because you think it's coming forever. But once you start to have an injury, once you have an injury, you start to realize, hey, wait, and, and the, the team keeps moving without you, you start to say, wait, wait, hold on. It's just, you know, let me go ahead and start 
saving some of this money or making certain these moves that put me in better position. So I think the sooner an athlete has an injury or gets cut, the be- the better he kind of views this as a, what it is, a business, you know. Mm. Especially like the NFL, because like you hear like stories about like oh you get like incentives in your contract to get this many tackles and you're about to get it and it's like near the end of the season they'll just like hold you out just so they don't have to pay you extra. You hear like crazy <laughs> stories like that. Exactly. You see stuff like that? Um, not with incentives. I wouldn't take any like looking back. I w- I would never take an incentive deal. Really? Yeah. If you remember Ricky Waters, not Ricky Waters, um, Ricky Williams. Mm-hmm. Remember he signed with No Limit yep. uh, Records. I remember. Mm-hmm. And he got an all-incentive deal <laughs> with the uh, Saints, and he didn't hit any of them. So, no, if, if I mean, if you're a player, if a team wants you, ask for You need all your stuff clearly written, not incentives, because that's um, you set yourself up for anything. Injury, um, the team can hold you out or what have you. So, yeah. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, the, then this... I guess the more pragmatic side, the side that wants to be a little more prudent and the one that wants to save, you know, think about tomorrow, think about next year and understanding the career slow, that becomes, does that become build a bunch immediately or does that come later? Um, for me, you're saying? Yeah, and explain um, what that is because I just said um, the name of the, you know, explain what that is also. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say for me when I was playing, I always had a business plan. So I was always somewhere pushing the business plan to somebody because I realized that, hey, look, I'm in a position to where I can open doors, knock on doors, and get in. So I've always been developing business plans and pushing them. Um, i give you one good story. When I was playing for the uh, Giants, I went to Russell's. I had a business plan for Russell Simmons, right? Yeah. So I went to his office and tried to pitch it to him, right? And they basically kicked me out of there. <laughs> so I went back. I went back to Giant Stadium and had everybody. I got a helmet from the equipment room. Had everybody sign the helmet, and I got some Giants letterhead and put kind of. I wrote a letter to Russell Simmons saying I want to talk to him about the business plan I'm working on. I brought the same letter back, same helmet to the to the same secretary. I gave it to her and she said, "Great, hold on one second. She took it upstairs, and they invited me up to meet. <laughs> so that got me in the door. I was like, man, all athletes need to do this. But, yeah, so that got me, you know, um, into a relationship with Russell Simmons just because I leveraged the fact that I played for the Giants. But I think athletes need to definitely do that. Um, I guess we're talking about Builder Bunch. After my career, one of um, and I, I think I would define myself as a serial entrepreneur, but after my career, one of the things that um, one of the things I realized is that um, actually me and my son, we're trying to find Lego camp to go to. Yeah. We couldn't find Lego camp, so we created one kind of like as a project. And it slowly grew, and we went from one location to 10 locations to 12 locations, and now we do summer camps all over Georgia. Mm. Um, Lego summer camps, and we're looking at franchising it to make it a national franchise. So that kind of grew slowly just out of, of us seeing a need that we wanted to fill, and we built it from there. I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship. I think everybody should be an entrepreneur. And you better be an entrepreneur now. They got, they got robots. <laughs> they will take they your got, job. They got robot cash registers. We don't they need that. We don't need nothing no more. They're not going to need us. They have robot players. Exactly. <laughs> hey, got really? concussions. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. So you better figure out what you can do to um, to bring something new and disrupt. You know? Yeah, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. I think I remember a while ago that there was like, it was maybe in Bloomberg, it was this business article, it was like a, 
about the NBA going to Silicon Valley for venture capitalism, like a lot of the players, especially like a lot yeah. of the Warriors. Yeah. It was like Andre Iguodala leading people out there, KD's investing, Chris Paul's yeah. investing. I, I saw that in the NBA. I've yet to see a sort of NFL equivalent. And, you know, we talked about culture before, yeah. how culture of a team can change things. Do you think that's a culture thing that we're not seeing that a little bit more? No, it's a money thing. Yeah. <laughs> NBA, you make it. NBA is a different level of money. And people don't realize that. In the NFL, I can sign a $5 million contract. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get $5 million up front. I'll, get, I'll maybe get $500,000 million up front and a $4 million remaining. If I get if I have a bad practice any time between signing that contract and the end of the contract, they can cut me and tear up the other four million dollars, and they don't have to pay me. Mm. So there's no guaranteed contracts in the NFL. So when they play play all that stuff on ESPN, and you see the, the, the ten million dollar contracts, finally got one. huh? Kirk Cousins finally got one. Oh, he did. He yeah, got he one. Finally <laughs> got a fully guaranteed like eighty million dollar yeah. contract. That doesn't happen. So that <laughs> does not happen in the NFL. So I think that what you're seeing is the NBA guys can take a lot more risk with their money because it's a lot more. And it's guaranteed. When you when I played in the league, I had a contract that if I got if I had a bad game, you know, I'm <laughs> out of there. So that's just reality of it for most NFL players. But I do like the fact that they're going to Silicon Valley looking for to leverage themselves because the one thing that's different as a as a as an athlete, you can't if I own a business that brings in billion dollars a year, I can milk that business for, for 10 years and then when I'm tired of it, I can sell it to somebody else for $10 million. Mm-hmm. As a player, one, you can milk your, your talent for a certain amount of years, but after those years are over, you can't sell it and yeah. cash out. You're just done. You know, mm-hmm. your, your capacity is done. So I think guys have to find a way to use their uh, fame and use it other, in other places to get in. And don't they offer like uh, money management classes once you sign in the NFL and stuff to help you like invest your money and think about yeah, other businesses and stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna learn. Hey, hey, I'll tell you like this: there's nobody who has took a money management class has learned how to leverage, you know, multiple multiple millions of dollars at 21 years old. So you have to either have people that you know that trust, or you have to just not spend money. And a lot of people just a lot of a lot of athletes are successful now because all they did is put their money in the bank. And they said, look, I'm not going to take any risky investments. I'm going to do some real um, real basic stuff with my money. Mm-hmm. And now when they're retired, they can start to do risky things where they've learned more. They learn how mm-hmm. to leverage it more and build more relationships. I think that's the biggest thing as an athlete. You come into a whole lot of money with no relationships with people, no way to evaluate whether somebody's a good you know, uh, money manager. Mm-hmm. And then you don't know how to do anything because you're a college student. Mm. And that's um, after five, ten years, you learn how to really do it right. But by that time, a lot of money's gone. Hmm. You started playing at what age? Uh, what was how old? Uh, you saying like what age? Like start started like you first year of football. Oh no, I didn't start playing football until I was maybe eleven, twelve. Oh really? 11, 12. Yeah, we didn't start when I was in Detroit. We didn't start that young. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't like. I came to Atlanta, and these kids are playing at four. <laughs> Four, five, and six. Yeah. We we didn't do all that. We play. I played outside until I was ten, <laughs> and um and then I just yeah when I when I realized oh I can play for a team now at ten or eleven I said cool I'll play but I didn't I didn't start early as. I mean you know, you know you have the usual stuff you have injury you have yeah. uh, guys getting in trouble off the field but then I you know there's. You know, we're obviously seeing a few layers that we haven't seen otherwise. There's yeah. business sides of things. There's, you know, right place, right time. There's relationships with coaching staff and teammates and yeah. front office. What are some of those, I guess, less lesser talked about 
things that can end a career or that can put that can catch somebody in a rut that can you know have a have a player falling in a ditch basically yeah i think the fact that with, with sports the fact that the injuries alone mm. you can get wiped your career can take it from you in, in one play so and with that being a fact right you're going into it known as a fact um the biggest things i see people do wrong is is take too much risk is is, is investing with friends and family on ideas that people have and just taking risks and now and you can take risks if you know that the next check is coming and it's going to keep coming but when them checks stop and you're taking too many risks you know that's the problem but ultimately i think like i said even though that's a bad i hate to put in that light that's a bad part of it but while you had these checks coming in if you start making good decisions you can really put yourself in a great position coming out of it so i think that um it's all how you look at it making good decisions not taking too many risks and bet on people that have done it before Mm. You know, your cousin may have a good idea on a car wash, but has he owned a car wash? <laughs> and, and I think I see a lot of that. Cousins, sisters, aunts, everybody's idea. Everybody in the family got a good idea. Stay <laughs> away from the cousins. Yeah, the Stay cousins. Away. Unless the cousins have, done, have, done, have proven their idea yeah. with, and risked their own money to prove it. You know? Cousins got an album to drop. Yeah, everybody <laughs> cousin, everybody cousin got an album to drop, got a CD, got record labels. Record labels. Don't do not do record label either. <laughs> What's your opinion? What do you think about the whole paying college players to play? And how do you think, if you do think that should happen, how do you think they should go about doing that? Oh, I'm a capitalist, so <laughs> hey, if I'm making you money, these college players, you look at these teams, Alabama's, these these teams making tens and hundreds of millions of dollars per game. So if the team, or if the school's making this much money and the players are getting injured, uh, risking their bodies to pretty make this money, um, they need to start, play, need to start playing them. I think if the, the question is, how do you do it in a way to where it's still fair? Yeah. To where a school that has a big big pockets mm-hmm. doesn't get all the good players. How do you make it, how do you even out the scales, you know? So I think that's the question. Finding a way to do it in a way to, towards a clean system to where won't nobody be able to have too much of an advantage of the other teams. Because yeah. don't, uh, don't college athletes get a stipend already? Yeah, they get the stipend. I'm not saying like, oh, that's enough or anything. Like, I'm just, I was just so, wondering. Yeah, so do um, everybody gets a stipend. Mm-hmm. But no, I think, um, yeah, stipends are cool. But this is like, and I, you really got to look at the business side of it, looking back at it. You know, this is four years of players' prime time playing ability mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. used to play in college and without any money. So this is an opportunity to capitalize on that too. And I'm, I'm, I'm all for you're looking for all the money you can grab with the with short career you have with your, with your body because your body breaks down. I think, like, in all the sports, for all D1 schools, like basketball, football, volleyball, they should just let you be able to make money off your likeness. Just let you be able to make money off autographs if they're selling your jersey. Oh, yeah, at least that. that. At, at, least at the minimum. At minimum. If you add that to the stipend, they should at least be able to, to eat out here. Like, be to eat, to pay at rent, minimum. to do all that stuff. And a lot of times, a lot of times, that's about, you know, now the the – Nobody can have their hands in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So if I, if you can go as a college player and make money off your likeness, mm-hmm. then the college has no, has, can't control where you do your autograph sessions at. They can. And then you start setting up your own autograph sessions off campus. But that's fine. So the college wants to be able to, and that's, I think what I'm saying is the college wants to try to be able to control that. Mm-hmm. If they want to control it, great. Okay, let's structure a deal where it can be controlled. You know, I think I think that will come because that's how markets work. You can't do anything too long. I think I think a new market will come to take it out. I don't think yeah. it's going to change the. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it has to be pressure. It has to be pressure, and it has to be some mm-hmm. disruption to take it out. And then 
colleges would say, you know what, we can, we, I guess we can bend a little bit. You know? <laughs> That's just the reality of it. Even like the NBA, like with the G League, they're talking mm-hmm. about just having a college, uh, high schoolers come come straight to the G League instead of going to college and they'll pay them for playing there for like a year until they're ready to get drafted and yep. stuff like that. Yep. So if that happens, then they're already taking a massive hit from losing basketball program. They're best athletes over there and stuff like that. Yep, it's, it's, and it's simple. All this is just economics. <laughs> Whatever, all you got to do is create some pain and now they'll say, okay, great, we'll, we'll, we'll budge a little bit. So I think that, that will, that's going to naturally happen and um, I think the, the, the institutions that understand disruption mm-hmm. And start moving in that direction and counterbalancing it are going to survive. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? We don't even see any taxis in about five years. <laughs> when I see a taxi, I'm like, what? Yeah, they look taxi. bad every time I see a taxi. Yeah. No taxi. So, so the taxi industry didn't didn't adjust fast enough. Hopefully, college does. Mm. That's the same thing with Uber now with these scooters coming out. They're going to have to do something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Uber's coming out with their own scooters. They, oh, yeah. they about they're about to be honest. Wait, don't worry. Uber, Uber can adjust. They can adjust fast. Uber Eats. Look how they blew up Uber Eats. Like crazy. That's the <laughs> stupidest thing in the world. People pay to get food down the street. Exactly. And you pay the premium. You pay like $6 to get it delivered. Yeah, because I think most of those services, you whoever delivers it keeps like 80% of the fee. So they got to rank that up yeah. to make sure they get paid. But they figured it out. I mean, hey, it's working. It is working. Yeah. It's working. They're running it up. Yeah. When I asked you to do this, I remember you telling me that you had some things to say about the Kaepernick situation. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, whatever, whatever, that, whatever that term, the Kaepernick situation, means to you. And I was also, I was on Twitter the other day, and I was seeing, um, there was a small discussion I was seeing where people were... Um, you're talking about like, you know, Kaepernick is really being held up as this icon and he's really, you know, a lot is being said about his contributions and who yeah. he is and what he stands for. Yeah. And But they were talking about you never really hear him talk that much. Uh-huh. You know, like you like with with all the comparisons, like, for example, there's actually a mural on it's in the West End. I can't remember the street. It's right by Ace Hardware. It's like Kaepernick. With the, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a picture of Jesus and there's a picture of Ali that was recreated off the same picture with the arrows in them. Okay. Kind of bleeding, you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Uh-huh. So there's, and there's been a lot of those Ali comparisons, but Muhammad Ali was, you know, the late, great Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. He was very, very vocal and, you know, th- whereas with Kaepernick, you don't hear him talk as much. Do you think, what do you, what do you think about that? What do you think about the entire situation? Tell me what it was. I, I don't think he what needs. To, I don't think he needs to talk. I think. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, is if you like with what he a lot of times statements don't need to be made around, around like you know standing firm on something. You know, mm-hmm. Rosa Parks didn't talk a lot. You know, I think you use whatever skill set you have. So his skill set, I don't think he planned on it be, be you know growing to a movement. Mm-hmm. But all he was saying is that I'm gonna stand strong with my opinion on this, and somebody's had to budge. So I think without talking, um, I think he got he made a lot he brought a lot of pressure to an industry, um, which we still don't understand the full results of, and still a lot to come with it. But I do think it's um, I think his, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it. Mm. You know, you think about you know multi million dollar contract. Once you lose that, that's that's your way of eating. Um, so I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it, but I do think it's the right way to one hundred percent the right way to do it. A strong way, a strong way to make a statement. It's really interesting because you can't even, like, it's hard to fully tell the effects because they talk about NFL viewership going down. Yeah. uh, But there's a certain, there was a certain sphere that 
the viewership is going down because you have play, because you have players kneeling for the anthem. Mm-hmm. This, the the the, uh, the sentiment is that American viewers think it's disrespectful, yeah. so they're just not going to tune in at all. Mm-hmm. There's another sentiment that says, "Well, we basically we wit- we 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 witnessed that we witnessed somebody who led a team to a Super Bowl mm-hmm. get blackballed, not even be able to get a backup spot in this league, while you know Joe Schmo, the dry cleaner." Has a you know a cushy job as a backup QB, a third string QB, and a lot of people are speculating about that. So they say the viewership is going down because of that. But so it's those those two opposite camps, sort of two opposite extremes. But then there's that middle tier where it's well, all that stuff came out about C- CTE over the past few years. All yeah. this all this research is coming. All these players are coming to speak out. They're talking about the exploitative practices of the league. It's really hard to gauge what the effect is, or is that an overall cocktail just bringing the whole ship sort of down a little bit? I think it's a good time to be alive. I, I like all this. I like Trump. <laughs> I like all this stuff happening at the same time because it's, what it's creating is a lot of change. Mm-hmm. And stuff was real peaceful for a long time, and everybody thought everything was all good when it really wasn't. You know, things really haven't been all good. Still, you know, a lot of the same um, underlying issues around the African American community. So. I think that this is bringing up a lot of things that need to be brought up, um, like um, the Kaepernick with the uh, concussions. But the big thing I get out of it is, for a long time, industries have been controlling the money, the bag, mm-hmm. and artists have been fueling these industries. So whether artists, I mean athletes, I mean singers, I mean entertainers, they've been fueling these industries that these guys in these suits have been running mm-hmm. and making the, all the money off of. So what this is saying is all these things that are happening are empowering the artists and the athletes and the people that put them in a position to where they can say, look, if I take a knee, I can make, I can turn you, get your viewership down if mm-hmm. I take this knee. So you need to adjust to what we want as artists and entertainers. Speaking of corporations, what do you think about Nike kind of becoming the new black power fists out here now? Oh, they did. <laughs> hey, hey, they did. They did all their calculations. Hey. And they figured out. They figured out if we get behind them. If Nike figured out that people wearing their shoes aren't old white men, <laughs> the young people of all races who aren't for that, like the young people aren't for all that stuff, all that racism, all that. So they realized that. The mass of who they're trying to entertain and get to buy their products, mm-hmm. enjoy the rebel spirit that kind of uh, of let's create some change. So they they, they caught the wind. That's the thing, that stock went way up too, right? It went crazy. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, Genius. Kaepernick been a Nike athlete from the beginning of the the movement, so yeah. like they could have been did this. They waited until it died down a little bit just to bring it back up and they really did. make the profit. That's they crazy. did. That's crazy, and and that's the machine. The machine <laughs> is crazy. I just want some continuity though. Like I specifically remember a situation in which um, an unarmed man was killed by the police. Yeah, and you know this was. Um, Nike did uh, a law enforcement day like shortly after that, and people were outraged. They were like boycott Nike, and I was like, "Damn, we were just boycotting Nike last year, yeah." And now Nike is the Black Power Fist, and that brand, that reshifting, like you can, how yeah. you can just jump sides like that is, is, is it's it's interesting to think about that nowadays. And even yeah. even when you said um, that corporations have been controlling industries. Even it's it's like over the past few years, you do see that in a lot of different places. I think the Writers Guild went on strike in Hollywood like twice over the while I was yeah. while I was in school. I think they went on strike once or twice. The Directors Guild, the screen, um, the Screenwriters Guild, like all all these groups in these different industries are, are industries are sort of rebelling against that system. And I see, I saw, it's like a music industry class, and he broke down. 
like record label profits just based oh, on the man. standard of how oh, it was. Man. And it, it covered advances in videos and touring and everything. And when it was when it was all said and done, when it was broken down, the record label had made like three or four million, and the artists would walked away like a, with like a hundred twenty thousand. Really made a lot. Hundred twenty thousand. That's, that's I mean, crazy. Like, I mean, that's just that's the way it's been allowed to be. But you know what though, it's, it's happening faster than you think because now you don't need. Uh, a big corporate building, shiny building to get your product out to your audience. You don't need to be able to talk to people. You don't need a media outlet. You got mm -hmm. podcasts. You got all these different things. So now the people with the Rico talent. Cowboys. The people with the, exactly, there you go, plug. But people with the talent now can monetize their talent without these guys in these suits. And these guys in these suits got to start adjusting some stuff because it's going to get real, it's going to get worse. How long do you think that can last though? Oh no, it's going to last forever. Because wow. I mean, you got to think about gravity, right? Talent, if you have talent, you and, and somebody's been between your talent and the world, stopping you, you from making money off your talent, or make, controlling your ability to talk to the world, nat nature is going to find a way for you to get to people. You know? Very true. I'm just talking yeah. about the whole like, being able to own the talent that you're being able to do by like, putting it out on the internet and all these different ways you can do it. Like, how long do you think that will last? Oh, you think that's going to stop? They're trying to pause a little bit with the oh, neutrality. No, you can't. Like, but you can, hey, hey, it's going to get worse. Believe me, and everything is moving towards ability to, to, to communicate with more people at one, one time. It's, everything is moving towards that direction. Every app, every everything going is moving us towards that direction. So, what's going to happen is the people who actually have the talent are going to be the people who are making the most money. It's going to, it's going to tip. So as long as you want to decide, if you got any ideas, create apps, create apps and platforms to help people with talent, get right to people on every level. That's how you can make a billion dollars. What do you See? think about the repercussions of that? Though? Of what? Of that right there. What you hey. just said. It seems and like we're headed back to the barter system. Hey. What you're busy describing is a lot of people still losing jobs, though. But a lot of people without... A lot of people would wear suits, right? Yeah. I don't think suits are needed on earth, right? Suits, <laughs> all suits do is stand in between people with talent and, and the world, right? So if these people with suits, if, if, if people can get to the world, then people with suits are going to say, what am I talented? What am I actually talented at? And they're mm -hmm. going to start doing things that are actually talented at, right? As opposed to um, you know, putting some money in the hands, a little bit of money in the hands of a talented person to, to sign a deal to where they make most of the money, right? So I just think that, that that's, that's inevitable, right? And if you're a, guy, you're a guy with a suit, you may want to start creating some apps or supporting the apps that are helping the talented people. Uh -huh. I don't think you do with suits are standing for this. But. <laughs> hey, I'm, hey, I'm telling you, it's hard. It's, it's going to be hard on dudes with suits. Because think about it. Even, even as I deal, I, deal, um, I deal with a lot of um, app, app, app companies, right? And back in the day, if a kid had an app idea, Mm -hmm. he need, or um, a digital idea, he needed a million dollars to get mm -hmm. get it in the right place, to get the website developed, to do all these different things. So these venture capitalists come and say, we'll give you all this money to mm -hmm. do it. Now these kids, these ideas say, we don't need $5 million mm -hmm. to get our company off the ground. You can't get half of our company by giving us $5 million. Mm -hmm. we'll, we can do this with, with $50,000 and we can make the next whatever it is, nice. you know, and then get traction. And get people on the app, and now when they come with their five million dollars, they're gonna say, "Look, okay, we'll let you in, but you're not getting half my company now." And that's just happening. It's just regardless. Let me ask you about that though, uh, my man Kami. We had a conversation the other day about a lot of the a lot of the modern workplaces. I guess a lot of the office buildings of nowadays. It's it's gotten a lot more comfortable. 
you know, a lot of the larger companies, you go in there, there's beer, there's wine. In the office. Sitting, yeah. Why do you, let me ask you this, why do you think they're doing that? Why do you think the people in the suits are doing that? I think it's a comfort thing. You don't want to leave work. The, 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 the people with the suits want to make it as comfortable as possible for people with the talent mm-hmm. to be able to help make money off of help make money in their business, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you want to make it as comfortable as, as possible. And that's why you would think the NFL would be saying, what's your problem, Mr. Kaepernick? Let's figure out your resolution. Everybody, what's your problem? Because you, should, you need to make it comfortable for these NFL players so they keep making you money. But here's the thing. <laughs> but here's the thing. Two, two things with that, though. Mm-hmm. Number one, yeah, you, you, you kind of have to do that same thing in the context of, of athletes. But... As we've just seen too many times in the past, and just knowing human nature, it's always gonna—it's always gonna be where we're gonna—we're trying to set it up to where we can get a lot of the same, where it can function. You will be happy enough to keep making us money. How do you think that? What does that look like in the context of the NFL? You think? Um, um, it looks like when there is an issue with the NFL, is seventy-five percent. Um, african-american athletes mm-hmm. and there's a big issue or disruption in the black community to where there's injustice happening that the nfl will say okay 70 percent of our of our talent pool is african-american let's look at as nfl let's address this issue and let's let's make it important to us because we're we're corporate and we make it important to us because it's important to our players as opposed to ignoring it until you have players taking taking independent stances and making the nfl look bad so you have to address it. If 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 I'm the owner, if I'm a team owner, I'm addressing it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm coming right now and <laughs> hey, we're gonna do this, whatever we have to do, because you have to make keep your talent happy. That's the other big problem though. Mm-hmm. There's no minority owners in the NFL. It's just old yeah. white men They're yeah. trying to deal with young black men. <laughs> yeah. They don't understand their problems. Yeah, and that's and I think that's part, I think that's part of keeping talent happy. You have to allow talent to some equity and some ownership in some of this stuff. But if, if there's never been any kicking and screaming about it, there's never an issue. Right now, we're starting to, as this stuff happens, we're starting to see, as Colin Kevin is taking a knee, we're starting to see that, that we're being, he's being locked out of teams. So maybe it needs to be some um, African-American ownership um, because this is an issue. So I think all these things make all these issues bigger and bigger. Even having Trump in office and make a lot of issues bigger and bigger. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of stuff, I think this is like, 2000, 2000 to 2017 has been about opening people's eyes up to what's really happening. And yeah. The Matrix is really going on. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful reality. terminology. Reality. Beautiful reality terminology. It is. Beautiful it's, movie. It's, it's, it is. It is reality TV show. But yeah. Oh, let me ask you. All right. So, from a dude who's playing in the NFL locker room and everything, what would you have done over that whole Vontae Davis thing? Um, what Vontae Davis did? The dude, the quarterback that like, oh, quit oh, at halftime. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he walked out, um, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it has to be a much bigger story. It had be before this. <laughs> it had to be some things where a team already knew. That's the thing, because they legitimately showed the clip. He was celebrating like a tackle like yeah. right before he quit on the oh, team. Really? Like He just got like a third down tackle right before halftime. He was like, dude, the fist all happy, um, and then he just left. <laughs> it yeah, it had to be more. It had to be something. 
that that I, I would I would love to know the backstory and, and no backstory ever came out. Yeah, dude, just the teammates were like, nah, that's just crazy. I, I think it was out there. Like that. Like, it has to be something. I think it's either a money thing or a respect thing. Yeah, it's something that he uh, he was. Unhappy. They have to have came with he that man unhappy. crazy. You left at halftime. They came yeah. with you crazy. Something crazy happened. Something I think he retired in preseason. And like someone called him something on the field. That was just it for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the last, yeah, that's the last, last play. But yeah, that was crazy. That was good. I really wasn't like, did he take his jersey off? Did he drive home and did yeah, like, how did that look? Like, yeah, how did that actually look <laughs> in the locker room? What were the fans? I want to see people's faces. They can pan around the locker room. When you walk out. Dude, like when you went out there, you were like, yo, he was the starting quarterback that game. Like, yo, yeah. where Vontae at? Yeah, like, out the blue. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. You're fired. The corner, right? Uh, cornerback and safety. Yeah. Tell me about life on defense, life as a corner in this league, as a defensive I, back. Yeah, I tell you, cornerback is, um, if, you, if you look at all sports positions, cornerback is the hardest position in sports to play, I think. Because in no, in no position in sports are you at that much of a disadvantage to the person in front of you, right? Yeah. So this person knows what they're about to run. They're run they, know, they know the route. They know what, what they have to do. They know what, what, what time the ball is coming. You have to face him and run backwards and stay in front of him. <laughs> And you have to guess whatever twists and turns he's going to do. And you have to knock the ball down without touching him. <laughs> I mean, but that's the most unbalanced, unbalanced position. Look at an offensive lineman, defensive lineman. You're yeah. both looking at each other, and they snap it, and you go. Look at uh, two-point guards. You know what's happening. You're not, you know what I'm saying? So I think across all sports, I think cornerback is a hard position to play. And I think that um, you have to – one thing when I play, you have to just get used – to looking looking bad on national TV, might <laughs> have get touchdown scored on you and coming right back in the next play. Well, that's the and, thing they're not and, and looking good. You know? if, if, if when they when you playing good, they're not going to see it because the ball's not even going to be thrown not, over there. Exactly. <laughs> half the time, you're like, yeah, you didn't even get the camera on you at that point. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it's a thankless job. But I do think if if you look at any NFL cornerback, he's the best athlete on the team. You think so? And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, you have to be. You can't. You have to be a you know be a twice as good as a receiver. To cover. Mm. Can, you, can you imagine playing like the arena league where they get like the 10 yard head start? Oh, God. That shit is crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's an offensive league. Exactly. Exactly. There's a reason that thing come on at like 2 a.m. Uh, exactly. It's, it's yeah. crazy. The, yeah. Yo, I see there's, there's job openings on Indeed for arena football. Oh, really? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can, apply, you can apply without a resume, damn near. <laughs> Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Getting high on my high horse, we're killing cowboys.